All right. Yeah. That's a lot of information, a lot of information. And some of you who are on the, on, you know, in the building today saw the dunk tank. Oh, good Lord. They've signed me up. I'm not telling you when it is because I just want you there, but I know if I tell you when it is, that'll be when the crowd is. I can already tell. So this afternoon, we'll look forward to seeing you all out in the front lawn. Let's have a great time together, kind of like a gathering of the whole church in a safe environment. We'll see you there, all right? Guests, my name is Wayne Kent, and I count it a privilege to be with you today. And we're going to look at Scripture. If you'll take your Bible, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 28. People who are joining us online, how cool that you're with us. There's a tab on your screen. You could find Matthew 28 there, and uh, let's read together. It's going to be in just a few moments. I'm going to describe the scene for you first, and then we'll go from there, okay? So um, what we're about to read in Matthew chapter 28 took place about 2,000 years ago, and I want you to imagine the scene with me right now. It's, it's a hillside uh, in northern ancient Israel in the area of Galilee. Jesus and many of his disciples were from Galilee. It's a, there's a lovely lake there. Uh, they call the Sea of Galilee. Uh, there are ma- mountains and hills and uh, just a picturesque setting where the disciples are coming to meet Jesus. Now, they have spent not just days and not just weeks and not just months, but they have spent years with Jesus. And they've watched him do all kinds of incredible things. Uh, they've seen him uh, speak to thousands of people. Then there are crowds literally following them everywhere they go. They've seen miracle after miracle. And, and, and for them at this point, what they've experienced has been, I guess you could say, a spectacular ride. It's been a tremendous project, a mind-boggling endeavor that they are going to change the nation of Israel. They're going to change the, the course of hu- human history. Now they know and have experienced, when we're going to read in Matthew 28, They've seen this big endeavor come crashing down in a horrid event. Jesus had been tried for blasphemy. He'd been found guilty and he'd been sentenced to death. However, in the midst of their grief, in the midst of their dashed dreams, in the midst of this despair, I mean, they laid their their lives and their livelihoods on, we're going to do this with Jesus and we're going to go somewhere and we're going to make a difference in the world. And then he gets killed. And so their despair is fairly deep. But in the midst of the despair, Jesus rose again. And with that, man, the project is back on. The endeavor is in place again. And you sort you can expect, well, you can understand how the disciples would go, man, the project, we're, we're going to take up right where we left off. Jesus is back and his body might have some new dynamics where he can sort of appear and disappear, but for, there's every reason to think that we're stepping back into this itinerant life, traveling, the preaching, the healing, the teaching, the crowds. It's going to be all in place again. And if the disciples had thought that, they were exactly correct. With one small change in the dial, one small detail they didn't understand at first, one small change in the plan. So what Jesus, what did he do? He had them gather on this hillside in Galilee, the home setting for many of them. It's after his resurrection. And we're going to step back into all this. And Jesus announces his plan beginning at verse 16. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. He came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If you want something, if you ever want to memorize a passage of scripture, Memorize this. 
in light of that. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything, everything that I've commanded you, you teach them. And surely, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And they're going, Shazam, it's wonderful. He's going to be with us and we're going to go back. He did say Shazam. They all said Shazam. I think they did. They, that was part of their lingo in, in ancient Aramaic. Shazam. That's how it went, I'm sure. But nonetheless, now, what they didn't realize was that, yes, they were going to be still preaching. They were still going to be healing. There were still going to be crowds. There was going to be travel, absolutely. They're not going to do it all, but with a different dynamic. Jesus now is going to say, instead of me being with you personally, one-on-one, I'm going to send my spirit because I'm going to be with you to the very end of the age. It's not going to be limited just humanity to one human life right now. Now, in Christian circles... These directives of Jesus of making the disciples uh, responsible for all nations, it's known as the Great Commission. It details the shift, if you will, that I've been talking about in this Jesus project, this Jesus endeavor. The Great Commission empowers and directs all Christians, all of us, you and me, and the Christians in the future, the Christians in the past. We have a responsibility to work toward a global spread of Christianity. All peoples of all nations should hear of Jesus' message. And the responsibility for all of Jesus' followers is to take that story and Jesus' redemptive work to all nations. So I could put it this way, that the followers of Jesus, we are responsible to move all people and all nations toward Christianity, toward Christian conversion, and then toward Christian baptism. And if we trust that Jesus is in charge of our lives, then this is the plan not only for the church and not only the plan for our congregation, but it is his plan for you and for me. We are responsible to take the story of Jesus Christ to all nations. Why am I saying this? Well, you may recall that throughout the last half of the summer, we've been looking at what are some really important things that, frankly, we we felt like we needed to bring to the congregation that don't fit in easy series where there's a common theme. And I just said, I'd like us to cover this, 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 and this, and I'd like these voices to speak to that. And so we've lumped it all into one big sermon series that's concluding today. It's kind of like, put everything in the bag, let's go on a trip, and we'll include the kitchen sink. Well, today's story and today's message, this is the kitchen sink, if you will. And so it's really important that you hear this, that one basic tenet, One basic tenet of Christian faith is understanding what Jesus said about global evangelism. Jesus said, take my story to all people. Take my story to all nations. And from my perspective and the perspective of historians, Christian historians and theologians, global evangelism is a task that is extremely important. Our congregation has stepped into that in powerful ways for generations. Back in the 80s, particularly, we took on a new understanding of how we were going to do that, and it's grown and it's morphed, and we, we, the elders and, and staff spent a long time in prayer. We listened to you about what specific areas of global evangelism should our congregation be involved in, and so you know then that we have a very specific interest in Africa, and we have a very specific interest in Cuba, and we have a very specific interest in Central Asia. So if we're in those three places particularly, what can we say about the spread of Christianity, not only just in those three places, but around the world? Well, be mindful of this, friends, that 
while we may think that Christianity is shrinking in the U.S., which is really a misnomer, it's, it's not correct, but nonetheless, if you have that sense, you need to know that Christianity is more than alive and well around the world. In fact, it is growing at an unprecedented rate. In Asia, Christianity is growing at more than 1.5% per year. There are now 100 million Christians more there than there are in North America. And by 2030, so less than 10 years from now, it's estimated there will be more Christians in China alone than we have in the United States. Catch that. Here we are, the sending nation for a lot of things that take place around the world. Did you know by less than 10 years from now, there'll be more Christians in China than there are in the U.S.? That's how far Christianity is spread within China. Or in, in Africa. Africa is poised within the next few years to become the world leader of Christianity. Seriously, there are so many Christians there, and their understanding of Christian faith and the, their, their scholarship and, and the way in which they're doing things is, so, is growing so quickly. According to the Center for Study of Global Christianity, the number of Christians in Asia is increasing at a tremendous rate. In 1900, there were about 9.5 million Christians. That grew to 140 million uh, just three, five, 40 years ago, pardon me. And at present, in 2021, uh, there are 685 million Christians in Africa, twice the population of the United States. Not twice the number of Christians in the United States. I'm about twice the population of the United States. Here's what I'm saying. Global evangelism is moving along very well, very well. There's lots to do. There are still people who have millions of people who have never heard the name Jesus. I get that. But in terms of its spread and how we are making progress, we are moving along very well. You play a part, and I play a part. How? How do the people of First Christian Church play a part in global evangelism? Well, we pray. We pray about people coming to Christ regularly. We also support and finance missionaries who are overseas. And we also anticipate that some of our people, people from Central Illinois, from First Christian Church, will go. That's true within our church. We work... In a variety of places, we work within our community because we want to be certain that the people of our community know of Jesus Christ. We have some national um, presence through Disciple Heritage Fellowship and some 80 to 90 churches that we are responsible for, if you will, through Disciple Heritage Fellowship. But, so we got local, national, and international. We support those working in global ministry. And so not only do we support, but we actually have people who go. We have people who are there as full-time missionaries. And we also have people who go as sort of short-term mission projects with medical projects and building projects and hands-on ministries. So I, I'm, I'm really honored to be part of a congregation that has that sort of global understanding, friends, that we have boots on the ground in a number of places uh, working as missionaries. And so today, you're going to hear the stories of two couples in this regard from our congregation. And the good news is they both happen to be back in Decatur I don't want to say home because home is overseas, but they're back in the U.S. on furlough for a few months, and we just put it together, so we got them all here together. And so I'm going to start by asking Lynn and Dory Kazir to come and join me on the stage, if they will, please. Can you welcome them to... <laughs> so I have a question. Um, I know the answer to this, but... Maybe meet some. You both come from First Christian Church in sort of a unique way. How long has your family been part of the life of this church? I don't know. I don't, I... You pressed a button, did you? It's on. Here, switch with you. I, don't know. I didn't do anything. 
I don't know. Is this one on? Yeah, it's on. You're on. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, my grandmother was born in 1907, and so I assume at least 20s, 30s, something like that. So. And then Close your dad was born years. into this church? My dad was born in 51. He was, his parents were a part of this church, and I've been here 62 years. He wasn't born in 51. No, he was born in 32. There you go. He graduated <laughs> high school in 51. Thank you. <laughs> if, if he was born in 51, he had you at a very young age, yeah, young born, man. He was born in 32. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Dory, how did you end up at First Christian Church? Okay. Um, how I ended up at First Christian Church is that the church invited me to be the youth director and to start a youth program and Christian ed so you came back out of in the early 80s. You came out of seminary. I came out of seminary way back in the early 80s. And you came, came here as a single woman. Yes. And he was a single and man. And I left as a, as a married woman. <laughs> how did you guys meet? I was serving her communion the first Sunday she was here, and she looked to see if I had a ring on my finger. But I'll but, finish but, that. But I wasn't, I wasn't her type. She was looking for a brown, she was looking for a brown suit guy, and I was a blue suit guy. <laughs> so you guys were part of the life of the church here, eventually uh, becoming a homemaker, if you will, and also um, you worked in the farm industry. Worked, uh, I worked in outside sales for 20 years from uh, uh, early 80s until uh, early 2000s when we went to Kenya. Most of that was in agribusiness, calling on farmers. The last couple of years was calling on contractors. And how did you make the decision, Dory, to go overseas? Uh, that's a story. But I'll start uh, Lynn, Lynn can start it. Because it actually starts with Lynn, uh, and I'll finish. When I was that. in university, I went to a missions conference called the Urbana Missions Conference, put on by our University Christian Fellowship. Billy Graham gave a keynote speech at that conference for many years. He gave a challenge to missions, and I told the Lord, oh, I can do that. And then I went to work for 20 years. Uh, about 20 years later, I went to a youth acquire the fire conference as a chaperone with a group from this church. Uh, we went to the Pontiac Silver Dome in Pontiac, Michigan, uh, the youth director, some chaperones, and probably about 40-some uh, middle and high school-aged kids. There were probably 55,000 kids in the Pontiac Silver Dome. There could have been nobody in there. The theme of that conference was basically the emphasis, what are you doing to make an eternal difference? And I didn't say, won't say that I heard God audibly, but it was very strong. What are you doing to make an eternal difference? You told me 20 years ago that you would do such and such, you know, and you've been in sales for 20 years. So that's kind of what started the conversation with Dory. And so after that happened, um, the church here had a missions emphasis week in, I think it was April, and the church invited um, Gary and Judy Woods to come back and speak. So as I walked out of, down this aisle uh, with Judy at the end of the service, I said, Judy, I've always been interested in missions and maybe working with a missionary. And her jaw literally dropped. And she said, Dory, we have an opening on our team right now, and Lynn would be perfect for it. 
And so my heart just like, whoa, you know, like jumped out of my chest and started beating. And I thought, oh my gosh, we're gonna go to Africa. <laughs> and so uh, we talked a lot with Gary and Judy that week and they gave us two very wise words of wisdom. One of them was, uh, don't come to Kenya to work with us. You have to know yourself that you're called to come. And the second one was, just ask God for clear black and white confirmation. And we did that also. And we had so many black and white confirmations, including selling our house at a basketball game, that we knew that we were going to Kenya. So how long have you been in Kenya now? 18 and a half years. What's your job? You actually lead the team, don't you? I co-lead the team, right, right. right. And how many missionaries do you have in your team? Right now we have 10. 10. And what's your job there? Work for her. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, basically, my job is to, uh, it w when I went there, it was to oversee a church building construction program and a development project. It still has a lot to do with that, but it's also uh, teaching and training the Kenyan church leaders that we work with, because they're autonomous now. They run their own affairs, but uh, it's training them to uh, look at quotations, to help them manage projects more themselves. Uh, to do expense reports, those kind of things, and to uh, establish some accountability with what we would consider as a, as a West, what most Westerners would think of when they think of accountability. And then I also take care of a lot of the nuts and bolts stuff uh, for a team. I buy and sell almost, well, I don't, I don't buy and sell them, but uh, take care of all the registration of all the vehicles that CMF owns in Kenya, et cetera, those kind of things. What's the future hold, guys? What does the future hold? Well, we will be returning on New Year's Day, and that's what the tickets are for anyway. And um, we have a couple things that we will be working towards. I'll let Lynn talk about a couple. Um, we have started um, a child sponsorship program for high school students, and so if anyone is interested in sponsoring a high school student who uh, normally could not go to school because all the schools are boarding schools, um, you can talk to me afterwards. And she just finished the first batch of 20 students. They just graduated, and we're taking on another 20. Mm -hmm. uh, as I mentioned, uh, we're trying to uh, uh, raise up the level of uh, uh, communication with church leaders there, mostly so they can communicate with people and organizations, establish uh, partnerships with organizations other than CMF and people that they may not know personally. People may not know what CMF is. Oh, Christian Missionary Fellowship. That's the organization that we are a part of, uh, cmfi.org, if you want to find out more about it. And then uh, another thing that we're looking forward to, uh, there's also a health ministries there that has ver is very well established in one area where CMF has worked for uh, probably 40-some years, primarily because the doctor that uh, was on the team at the time and her husband that set up all the administration for Community Health Partners or CHP, they lived in that area. The other area, that's the area that Gary and Judy uh, served in when they were in Kenya for about 20 years from the 80s through the early 2000s. That area is very much lacking in healthcare. And so we're hoping to uh, establish a good solid base clinic in that area in partnership with uh, community health partners. Uh, we've got an account set up to receive funds for that and 
Uh, there's different phases. The first phase uh, to purchase land, get the land fenced, uh, put in a, a borehole, what we call a well here in the States if uh, needs to be. Uh, we're probably looking to raise about 150000 for that phase and perhaps over the next uh, five to ten years as much as 800000 to a million U.S. dollars to get the thing going. What's, fasc <clears throat> excuse me, what's fascinating, friends, <laughs> you guys should sit down. I'll, 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 we'll go from there. Okay? Can you thank him? Yeah. We're, we're doing this on the fly. Okay, so what's fascinating is there was, you may recall, there was a young man that, that Gary and Judy basically didn't quite take in their home, but almost from the time he was a little boy at a year old, who we have partnered with that young man all the way through school and helped him get through school. And then you may recall in 2010, I was over in Kenya, and what do you want to do with your life, Daniel? I'd like to become a doctor. We raised the $60,000 here in our congregation. We put him through med school. He's now fully licensed. He's back in that same area, able to be the lead head of what Lynn and Doria are talking about. So it's all great news. And guys, I, I can't tell you how proud I am of the fact that you represent us over there so well. And what... What's driving me to bring this to you today is I wonder if there's a new Kazir story yet to come from the pews and the attendance rolls of our congregation. I love the fact that we pray. I love the fact that we, um, that we support and finance. But I'm also wondering, are there a few new people? Are there young people? Are there older retired people who need to say, I'm up for a two to three year run? Could you be the next person from our congregation, who would go overseas to another part of the world for the sake of Christ. And may I point out that God's mission needs far more people than us preacher types. We should be way down on the list because God's mission needs people who um, are construction experts and health workers and teachers and accountants and technical workers. Could you be part of the way in which Jesus' great commission is filled in the coming days? See, Jesus, he made this fascinating statement. He said that his second coming, I don't want to date his second coming. One of the things he said about his second coming is that it will occur once every nation has heard his story. And the way in which that's put together, we don't have time to get, dig into it today, but basically once every, every nation, pardon me, hears the story of Jesus in their native tongue, in their heart language. And there are still hundreds of um, languages that yet have Bibles. As a matter of fact, there are many languages yet that still don't have written alphabets. And what's happening is Bible organizations are coming together, and there's um, a, a great cooperation right now and collaboration among Bible translation organizations to get the Bible into these Bible-less languages. And there, there's 40 of them working together from different nations around the world saying, by us coordinating our, our, our responsibilities and say, we'll work in this group, you work on that group, we'll share computer programs, and, and, and the whole way in which this is coming together through their shared partnership, catch this, friends. The strategic efforts of this indicate that the Bible translation projects will reach a point in 2050, less than 30 years from now. If you're planning to be alive 30 years from now, this is going to occur in your lifetime. In your lifetime, the Bible is going to be translated into every known language. And that includes not only into the language, but then in many languages, learning how to speak that language, how to write it so it's not written down. And um, you could, we could see this next major milestone in the story of Christianity happen within our lifetime if we live that long. Okay, so 
I have, I have a project for you. Why don't you get your phone out, if you will, please, today. Those who are online, maybe copy and paste this. Get your phone out. I want you to go home this afternoon or tonight and take a look at this website about how this is coming together. From, take a photo of the screen. And um, come on, guys, get your phone out. I know, this is church. We don't have where I have a phone on. Yes, you got your phone. You've been checking on Facebook while I've been talking along already. I know that. <laughs> no, you haven't. No, you haven't. But nonetheless, okay, take a, take a photo of that and go watch. Take a, just wander around that this weekend and see, hey, this is taking place. History is about, human history is about to take a significant shift in the next few years. Do you want to be part of it? And so... This Jesus project, this global infusion of Jesus' story to every nation, it's so important. And whether we pray, whether we support, or whether we go. This Kazir story is a story of going. But we have another couple from our church who are also overseas, but their story is significantly different. And they, too, are in the U.S. for the next few months on furlough. Would you welcome Ravshan and Lisa Ramoff? <laughs> And their story is significantly different, though it sort of starts out the same, that Lisa, it's great to have you guys. I'm so, th I'm so thrilled you're back in the U.S. right now. Lisa, you're from central Illinois you're with very clear connections to our congregation. Can you explain that? Yeah, I went to school. Well, I grew up in Hammond, well, between Atwood and Hammond, and uh, graduated from Atwood Hammond, which is now called Allah. <laughs> but uh, I went to college at Millican University, and my parents and grandparents have lived here. Forever. And were you, were you a follower of Christ through those days? No, I was not. How'd um, you come to know Jesus? I became a Christian uh, while I was coaching at Montana State. And um, a woman came into my office. Coaching? Coaching basketball. Right. I played basketball at Millican. Also played softball at Millican, by the way, <clears throat> for this afternoon. Or this uh, oh, 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 great, the dunk tank. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, I get it. Oh, God. Oh. And you were the pitcher. Oh, <laughs> swell. Ain't it swell? But I'll throw overhand. You'll throw overhead. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I, I played basketball at Millican, and then I um, went into coaching and coached at Montana State and began wondering, um, how do you change people's lives? Or, you know, like seeing the issues people were having and I was having. And a woman came into my office and... Um, she said, well, have you ever heard that, uh, of a four-point outline on how you can know God personally, and uh, that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? And you just really don't hear those kind of words around a basketball office. And I, I said, no, I've never heard of that. I've been going to church all my life, but never heard of it. So we got together, and she shared Christ with me, and I asked Christ to come into my life. And the next day, I just felt a peace in my heart that I'd never felt before. It was during the national signing date, which for a recruiting coach is not a good time. Um, and so, yeah, so then I, uh, the, she worked with the campus ministry with Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ, and then I went on a basketball tour with Athletes in Action, which is a part of Crusade, to um, Korea. And while I was there, we were studying the book of Isaiah, and I began to, to see, like, God is so great but who's going to tell people about him? And then we were at a, a day of prayer at, uh, there, and God brought it to my, showed me Isaiah 6, 8, that said, uh, Isaiah responds to the Lord and says, here I am, send me. And like Lynn, I almost uh, 
vocally heard the Lord speak, and I thought, that, okay, I'm ready to go. And then I thought, well, how long? And the next verses say, uh, until the cities are desolate and the land is bare. So, a long time. A long time, yeah. <laughs> Ravshan, you're not from central Illinois. No, I'm not from here. <laughs> Where are you from? I am uh, from Central Asia. Uh, I, I was born in the country of Kyrgyzstan, uh, but I'm Uzbek. It's a different country, Uzbekistan. So Central Asia is former Soviet Union countries, and they are Muslim countries. That's you, where I so grew you grew up. up in the former Soviet Union speaking Uzbek, Kazakh, and, and Russian, mm -hmm. and not yes. English? No. Yeah, I speak several other languages, but English is my fourth language. Right. And so, how did you become a Christian? Um, actually, um, when I was little, I wanted to be, become a Muslim, mullah. So, and it was because it's a really um, Muslim culture, everybody does whatever. And um, so, um, my dad, I was started going to the mosque and all that, and my dad decided, because it was Soviet Union, he said, maybe we'll try something else, and he took me to the boxing gym, and I became a boxer, And but I still always knew that I'm a strong Muslim, I wanted to do something like that. But boxing life took me to the different path and I became a uh, mafia leader and gangster and all that, so. Um, and along with the national champion and boxing champion. Yeah, I was a national and Central Asian champion for boxing. And how did you two meet? Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I was organizing a dance for the university students and she showed up. But I didn't know she was a basketball coach at the university. So I invited her to dance with me and she danced with me and I said, what are you doing here? I was still mafia guy then. She didn't know that. She didn't tell me that she's a missionary. You didn't tell me you were a mafia guy. <laughs> <laughs> we don't say. <laughs> so, and we danced and she said, I'm a, I, I'm a coach, basketball coach. She's like, oh, okay. So I didn't see her for another year. During that time, summertime, uh, university students came to my university. They said they're going to teach English. So we're like, oh, cool, these American kids, we're going to go beat them up and take their stuff. <laughs> so I showed up at an English club because they came for summer project, like you guys go summer projects uh, other places. So they came to summer project, teach English, and uh, they shared with me. I became a believer. Long story short, and I had a persecution and all that, and my dad almost cut my head off. Literally. Literally, um, literally yeah. But um, about a year later, I, dis I, I went to the different country where I am working right now, another one of the stand countries, and uh, was a Bible college there, underground. Bible. So I went to Bible college, graduated, became a staff with the AIA called Athletes in Action. It's a part of the ministry uh, crew that they do sport ministry, and we work in this country and we work with athletes and um, right now currently I'm working with the football players. American football is in Central Asia. I have three teams, I'm coaching them. Can you imagine I'm coaching quarterback? I've never. <laughs> <laughs> well, she can throw, apparently. <laughs> so, um, Ravshan is the team leader for all of Central Asia, um, which includes, we have to be careful what, what words we use today because of uh, how people might Google this. Uh, so think about where Central Asia is in one of the hotspots of the world right now. And what can you tell us? Um, I can't tell much about it, but I can, uh, what I can say, I'm a crisis manager for this area. We have 10 countries, and one of them, all the stand countries. And uh, if you know 1040 window, it's a latitude. And on the map, if you see the latitude and added, uh, what is it called? Longitude. 
It's 1040. It's the most unreached people groups in the world, and they are still today. And one of the countries is a really hot spot right now. And um, we do have uh, family, friends, uh, and brothers and sisters there. And we are right now working. We have a task force. We're working uh, with a connection with our organization and trying to uh, help them so they can uh, flee the country. And they are caught in the middle. We have a bad guys, and we have good guys, and about 10,000 people in the middle who's um, uh, sitting on the streets. And they, uh, um, our, our people were on the field. Uh, they spend the day there, uh, all night there, on, uh, 30 hours they spend outside, try to get to the embassy uh, so they can uh, let them in. But it uh, didn't happen, so they are hiding right now. Um, so uh, we're working on, continue working on. At one point they had no food or water. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, no they, food, no water. They didn't have no food, no water for 30 hours. Right. A little so, one-year-old passed out from tear gas. And so also, yeah. well, you're watching on the news. Guys, this is, these are your brothers and sisters in Christ right there. Right there. So God is good. We are, we're working on it. They have hope, and um, they're waiting on us. Uh, I just received the phone. I'm sorry. I just received the phone call, but I, I will answer later. But I need, to, I need to go. All right. So we should let them go. But I'm going to sit, because he is the crisis manager for that nation. And so run on, but we're going to pray for you guys as you leave. Okay? Thank you. Let's pray. God, there are places around this world right now that are in desperate, desperate need. Places, Lord, where um, I'm so glad, Lord, that we have followers of Jesus Christ working. But their lives are in danger. Their very lives, their children's lives are in danger. And Lord, we watch the news and it's sort of so far away, but then to realize it's right, we got people from our church right there right responsible for it. We ask for grace. We ask for peace. We ask for safety. We ask for better days. In the name of Jesus, amen. So before we close today, um, and we close out this series, I, I, um, I would like to ask this question. Why are we involved in global missions? Well, the answer goes back to Jesus' great commission. His disciples are standing on that hillside in Galilee, and Jesus tells them, and by us, proxy, go. We go to our own community, we go to the nation at large, and we will continue to glow, we will continue to go to people around the world who don't know of Christ. We want them to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I say that without any apology. It may not be very socially acceptable in, longer, in some circles. But I tell you, in some circles, in many circles around the world, it is extremely powerful to say, I want you to know Jesus Christ, which I guess could bring me to one final question for today, and that is, all this emphasis that we have as a congregation of telling others about Jesus Christ, I want to straight up ask you, where are you in your relationship with Christ? Yeah, maybe you're going to, you know, we've got lots of people here who pray for our global work, and we finance, and some of you might be considering going. I would love to have that chat with you. These guys, they're going to be at a tables out in the lobby after the worship service. You visit with them. Maybe you could join them or go somewhere else. Fair enough. But bottom line, where are you right now? 
If, you're, if the line of faith is here and you're here, could, what could I get, do to help you step over and say, I'm going to declare that for me, Jesus Christ is in charge of my life. I'm going to rely on him for a, a relationship with God, for the forgiveness of my sin, for fellowship with God, and move forward from there. I wonder at times, well, I, I know in the life of our congregation, apart from people making that step across the line of faith, sometimes regularly I'll have people say to me, I'm on this side of the line of faith, but I don't know how I got here. I've been listening and talking with people and, you know, I've been attending First Christian Church. And somewhere along the line in recent months, I realized, hey, I really now, somehow or other, I'm a Christian. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> I'm aware of how it happened. What's happening overseas in the lives of individuals can happen in your life. And I would suggest to you today, friend, if you're online with us or you're in the building and you want to know how you could maybe have a conversation with us, you can visit with your chat host on the, in, online. You can text to the church's phone number, 217-875-3350, and just say, I need to connect about this, whatever the case may be. Or maybe if you're in the building, grab one of us by the elbow and say, can I have a ch chat with you about this business across the line of faith? All this stuff of other people overseas, fine. But what about me? I get that. I'm quite anxious that we not leave this facility today we not leave our online chat with you today without an understanding that everybody who is here has a walk with Christ and you've crossed the line of faith. Let's pray together. Lord, we've heard some fascinating stories today. We've learned of the spread of uh, the cause of Christ around the world. I think, God, the, pe the, the, the disciples, a dozen maybe, maybe 20 of them gathered around the hillside with Jesus. And uh, he says, Go. And here it is, generations later, and we have all these people, God, millions upon millions of people now who walk with you through him. That's really good. But God, I pray that you would continue to call us to be a congregation that figures out what we're going to do with this, that we will continue to support our missionaries with prayer. We will continue to finance, Lord, and we will even go, yes. And then, Lord, for some here today, they have yet to acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ. They have not yet come to the place where they'd say that Jesus is my forgiver, my Savior. Jesus is my leader, my Lord. Lord, call us all into that relationship with you through the power and work of your Holy Spirit. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Lord bless you today.